Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. I just want to welcome you here today on this uh, beautiful uh, fall day. Welcome to you online as well. And it is great that we are all out. As Pastor Mark mentioned, we are continuing on our journey, part seven of... um, of uh, the discipleship series and all aboard discipleship for the trip of a lifetime. So first we learned about that uh, every ship has a captain and that captain is Jesus, right? And then we went on and say every ship has a name and that our identity is found in Jesus. Every ship has a helm that we're guided by prayer and that every ship has an anchor and that is the word of God and every ship has a crew and that's a church and that we need each other and then I loved last week uh, every ship has a cost and that uh, cost was uh, Jesus Christ dying for us on that cross and today we are looking at every ship has a sail except that's not right Pastor Mark Every ship does not have a sail, right? Every ship does not have a sail. I think I'm getting job because I'm the rookie here. And, uh, but every ship does not have a sail. And uh, let's show a picture of a ship here. Uh, this is a Viking ship uh, for no other reason. I like Vikings, so there it is. And uh, notice that it has a sail and it has oars as well. And so you need something to power a ship. And so uh, who here likes to row and would, if you wanted to go anywhere, you would, you, you would row? Anybody here? A few people, a few canoers out there. How about putting out a sail? That sounds a lot better, right? You put up the sail and you get powered that way. How about a motorboat? Yeah, yeah that's what we like. I know people really like the motorboat, especially Pastor Mark. And uh, that is the thing. And you know what I found out is uh, paddling, it's hard work. It is hard to paddle. And I am, a, I am a land-based animal. I do not know anything about boats. I don't do any of that stuff. I've probably been on a boat uh, probably less than a dozen times in my whole lifetime. And um, so anyway, my uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they invited us to Caddy Lake a couple hours uh, uh, west of here. And uh, so we'll go there with my brother-in-law. Brother-in-law is a great guy, but... Uh, knows nothing about canoeing. But that doesn't stop us from putting on our life jackets and going out in the canoe right away. And so uh, my first mistake was to listen to my brother-in-law. So just out of principle, you should never listen to your brother-in-law, but nevertheless, that's the mistake I made. And, uh, and uh, we go out, and of course he's steering in the back, and we go straight out. And uh, we go out for maybe 10, 15 minutes or so. And then finally I kind of say, maybe we should turn around. So finally, turn around, then we look back, and it's like, oh, we're out quite a ways, and everything looks the same to us. And so it's first day on the lake. We had never been there before and all that. And so we come, so we say, how off course could you get in 10, 15 minutes? Well, it turns out quite a bit, because we come back, and our cabin is not in sight. So we're pretty sure it's to the right. So we go down to the right, follow the shoreline along, and we always think it's going to be just around the corner. But it's not. And then we finally get to where there's no more cabins. And then we're like, well, this is wrong now. So anyway, we turn around and we start paddling back. And we're paddling like crazy. And my, my arms are killing me. I'm a runner. So, so I have these spindly little arms. And I'm, just, I'm so tired of, uh, tired of paddling. And plus, my brother-in-law, God bless him, is uh, 
I have to keep correcting because we keep on going so crooked and everything else. And it's starting, the sun is starting to set. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And it always seems like our cabin's going to be just around the corner. Finally, we cross one corner and there's our cabin. So happy to be back. And then I remember when we come back, my uh, wife, she says, she says to me, I thought you were just guys were going to be gone for a few minutes. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought, too. Yeah, that was the plan. But we were gone for like an hour, hour and a half at least. And, uh, you know, but sometimes I think that paddling, that that is actually can be a metaphor for us in our Christian walk. That we sometimes think that we do it by our own effort. We think if that we just try hard enough that we somehow can change ourselves. If we grit our teeth, that we can just do that. But we cannot. Love this quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon, great 19th century preacher, and he said this, Without the Spirit of God, we are as a ship without the wind. So to go anywhere on discipleship, we have to put out our sail and catch the wind of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yes, we have to do our work through prayer or worship and those sorts of things, but God is the one that ultimately does it. Love how Paul puts it in Philippians 2, and he writes this. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our part. And then, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in according to fulfill his good purpose. So work out our salvation. That's our part. But it's actually not paddling. It is actually putting out the sail of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then God is the one that works in us for our salvation. And uh, so thankfully for us, if we are in that discipleship, that we are not powered by our own power, but the wind and the power of the Holy Spirit. Every ship does not have a sail, but discipleship does. Luke writes this in the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, pneuma, or literally wind, comes on you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the word there for spirit is the same word for wind, pneuma. You think of a pneumatic drill. It's an air-powered drill. Up until that point, the disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit. And you could tell. You read through the Gospels, and the Gospels, they, and the, sorry, the disciples, they look like dum-dums, right? So often, right? They're wanting to rain fire down on the Samaritans. They're fighting about who the best should be and all these types of things. But what made them change from dum-dums to world changers. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened. And after the Holy Spirit came to the believers in Pentecost in a gigantic wind, everything changes for the disciples. The the disciples, they're described as being filled with the Holy Spirit as they pray and preach powerfully. And everything changes. The church grows from a few dozen people to a few thousand in just a few days. And it's actually a great... um, Uh, apologetic for uh, the church is how on earth did the early church grow from a few dozen believers and lose their leader, Jesus, and how did it grow to a few thousand in a few days? How how is that possible? Nothing's ever happened in the history of the world before then or after. You look at the major religions of the day, actually. You look at uh, uh, Islam or if you look at, uh, you know, Mormonism, uh, Joseph Smith, Muhammad. They worked for decades getting their group together before it took off. Not the church. The church was for three and a half years and then they lost their leader. Why did it take off so much? 
and it is because of the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead and exploded the early church also lives within us. And it is a staggering reality that the Holy Spirit lives in us in such a way. I remember a story about this. It was, uh, um, I became a Christian in Ottawa, and I was uh, working as an engineer. And uh, during those times, I was uh, getting discipled by a number of uh, young people. I was part of this uh, university uh, Christian group, uh, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, always meet with them on Wednesday nights. A really formative time for me. And anyway, one of the people in that group, his name was Bain. Chinese guy, uh, really bright, and, uh, but a really intense guy. And he was known in our circles for, because he had a scar on his forehead. And he got the scar on his forehead by doing this. So he's walking around Ottawa, reading his Bible, because what else do you do when you're walking down the street but reading your Bible? So he's walking down the Bible, walks right into a pole. Bam! And he ends up cutting his, uh, cutting his forehead, and he needs stitches uh, for it. Anyway, so he's this super intense guy. And uh, what I remember about him is that one day he came up to me, and I'd only been a Christian for a week or two at this time, and he says to me, Steve, do you know that you have the Holy Spirit, God himself, living inside of you? And I was like, I didn't know that. And that kind of freaked me out. Like, honest to goodness, it kind of freaked me out. I was like, well, that is the weirdest thing I have ever heard, that the Holy Spirit is uh, within me. But over the years and over the decades uh, since that time, I have found that that reality of the Holy Spirit living inside of me is actually the thing that has made all the difference in my life. And so for all of us, the big question is, is how do we put out the sail to catch more of the Holy Spirit in our life? And so... Uh, all my points here start with the letter R, and this is what you do. Discipleship has a sail to put out your sail. You receive by believing, you relinquish control, and you refill every day. And that is what you do. And uh, the receiving by believing, that wind, it's a great analogy, actually, for the Holy Spirit. Because just like you can't see the wind, you can see its effects, the same is true for the Holy Spirit. You can't see him but you can see his effects in our life. And uh, Jesus, he uh, actually uh, starts to talk about the Holy Spirit during his ministry. It's actually one of his main teaching points actually throughout his ministry. And uh, so he goes to this um, Jewish festival called the Festival of Booths, and it's one of the major uh, festivals at this time. And uh, he uh, interrupts the ceremony, which would be terribly inappropriate for anybody except for Jesus, because he's the Son of God, so he can do it. And this is what he did. It says this. It says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I can hardly tell you how um, important those, that verse was to my wife and I and our beginning in ministry. So uh, just to give you a quick uh, summary, I uh, became a Christian in Ottawa, moved to Thunder Bay, got discipled there, and then this uh, beautiful lady came to town, 
my wife's son, and uh, I didn't know her at the time, but I was actually, I remember I was in the audio booth at the time, and uh, I still remember her son walking down the middle of the thing, uh, middle of the, um, uh, of the church, and I just thought to myself, well, who's the new girl? <laughs> I was like, like, who's the new girl? And uh, so I got to know her, we had a whirlwind romance, uh, quit our well-paying jobs, and went to, uh, and went to seminary. So uh, we started our family there, and then after that, uh, at the end of that time, at the end of the third year there, we're, you know, we're getting ready to go into ministry, which I was really very insecure about. And uh, I remember one day we're leaving our, I'm leaving the house, and my wife, she asks me this question. She goes, I, I read this verse this morning. Uh, what do you think of it? And she reads that verse. Uh, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, for streams of living water will flow from their innermost being. And she asked me, well, what does that mean? You know, streams of living water flowing from their inmost being. And since I'd been to seminary for three years at the time, knew the Bible inside and out, I went like this. I don't know. Streams of living water, inmost being, no idea. And uh, then I just went on my merry way to uh, the chapel. I was the audio guy at that time. And, uh, and so went to the chapel. There was a professor, uh, professor there who was speaking. And... Uh, and uh, he was giving a message. And uh, the message was basically this. He said, you have all the tools now to, to be a pastor, to be in ministry. But if you're going to really succeed in ministry, you have to be powered by the Holy Spirit. And then much to my shock, he relays that very same verse. Whoever is thirsty, come to me and drink. Streams of water will live, you know, will flow from his inmost being. And he, by that, he's talking about the Spirit. And I just couldn't believe that in the space of just a few minutes, that verse that I had no really knowledge of before, that God puts it right in front of me two times, one by my wife and one by the, uh, one by the pastor. And uh, you know what? I really took that as God's word to, my, to, to me, like that I just couldn't believe it. So back in that audio booth, I, I cried like a baby. I cried like a baby because I felt like God was preparing me for the next step of ministry. Uh, you know, my, my favorite story, actually, regarding the power of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, actually, is related by uh, Bill Bright, who's the head of Campus Crusade for Christ. Wonderful, wonderful man. And he shares the story of Leonard. Now, he talks about the night uh, Leonard received uh, the Holy Spirit into his life. And that Leonard, that he was filled with a love, and a great change came over him. Because before then... He had hated everything and everybody. And he used to, Leonard, he used to come home drunk at night. And when he'd see his dog on the porch, he'd kick the dog and kick, kick, kick the dog off. And then the dog would come back and bite him on the leg and everything else. And uh, also, and then his wife would come in and start yelling at him. And then they'd chase each other around the table. And it was all this terrible thing. Like day after day, it was this terrible atmosphere in this home. And, uh, but this is what uh, Bill Bright relates. He says about Leonard, but the night I received Christ, I was so filled with love that even the dog sensed I was different. He raised himself off his belly and crawled towards me and sat on my feet, the same feet that had kicked him all those years. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And the great power of the Holy Spirit is that he's supernatural. He works in our inmost being and he gives us a love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that is literally out of this world. 
But to receive it is an act of faith. It's an act of trusting in him. And you have to believe to receive. And like the sailor who puts up his sail, right? Even though he can't see the wind, he puts up the sail that we need to start believing and trusting that the Holy Spirit will power us. That's true whether we've been a Christian for five minutes or for five decades. So that's the first thing, that we receive the Holy Spirit by believing. Uh, The second is relinquishing control to the Holy Spirit. Personally, I think this is the toughest one for many of us. Because if putting out a sail is so great, why have they largely been replaced by steam engines, now uh, internal combustion engines? What's, What's the problem with the sailboat? What's the problem? You need wind. And does wind always blow the same direction? No. Does it always blow the same strength? No. And actually, that is a great analogy for the Holy Spirit because in the same way that sailors, that they have to work with the wind, and the sailor, incidentally, can actually even go against the wind with tacking and what have you, but they have to work with the wind. And the very same is true for us, that we need to work with the Holy Spirit to have change into our life and for us to really be led by the Spirit. And Jesus, he makes this actually exact point to Nicodemus. And uh, if you know Nicodemus, he's part of the ruling council. He's, what, he's a Pharisee. So he would have known like the 612 laws in the Torah. He would have known them down pat. And uh, so he was really good at what I would you know, call the paddling. Really good at the paddling. And then this is what Jesus tells him. He says this, The wind blows wherever it pleases You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone, everyone born of the Spirit. And so remember that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it, not a force, but like any personal being, he acts in ways that we would not always guess. He does whatever pleases him. He works within us in ways that we would not want, but it is a reality for each of us that are born in the Spirit. He guides us wherever he pleases. And, uh, you know, we see the Holy Spirit really work in the book of Acts, actually. And uh, one of my favorite stories from the book of Acts is actually about my namesake, about Stephen. And so, again, when I was um, a brand-new Christian back in the day, um, I had somebody come up to me and say, uh, hey, there's a Stephen in the Bible. And I was like, hey, fantastic. I was really happy that, you know, I had a biblical name, never really thought about it before. But now that I was Christian, I was really happy. Stephen, that's great. And then he went on to tell me, yeah, he was the first Christian martyr. And then I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> that's, that, that's no good. And, uh, but uh, Stephen, he's actually a very interesting character because he actually gets started out in kind of the very simple things. Because in Jerusalem at that time, there's a problem. And the problem is, is that the widows from Greece, the Grecian widows, they are um, they're being overlooked in the serving of food. And so uh, the apostles, they say, well, I mean, we have our own job to do. We're ministering the gospel. We're preaching and praying and all those sort of things. But we need some good men, and, it's, and, he, and they describe the men that they need to be filled with wisdom and the Holy Spirit. So they choose seven men, and uh, Stephen is among them. And I could just imagine that Stephen thought to himself at that time, I'm being asked to serve uh, widow's food. I can do this. This is in my skill set. Uh, but then the wind changes in his life, 
And we see actually that the spirit blows him in a totally different uh, direction. And Stephen actually does signs and wonders through the Holy Spirit. And because of this, that tons of people actually come to the Lord. And it's a great and wondrous time for the church. But, you know, always these things work like this. There's all this great fruit, but the ruling class, they are not happy about it. So they bring uh, Stephen in and they put on this kind of kangaroo court for him. And uh, Stephen is given an opportunity to speak in uh, Acts 7. It's actually one of the best sermons you could read in scripture. And as part of what, what he's talking, he talks, you know, he gives basically a summary of the Old Testament. But then at the end, he, um, he actually really calls out the ruling class. And, uh, and then it says this at the very end of the sermon. It says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So would you agree that Stephen at this very moment He is right in the center of God's will, full of the Holy Spirit, seeing God and Jesus, right? What does it get better than this? What happens next to Stephen? He gets stoned. He gets killed in the very next verse. And you'd say, wow, being filled with the Spirit, well, that was kind of tough on Stephen. But, you know, we see that God worked through him in an amazing way. And, you know, it's probably not what Stephen thought was going to happen to him when he, um, when he first uh, was serving uh, Grecian widows. It's probably not what he thought was going to happen to him when he was doing these signs and wonders. And probably not what he thought was going to happen to him when, you know, he preached that great sermon. And, but that's what happens to him. And uh, after the death of Stephen, what actually happens is that the ruling class, they kick all the believers out of Jerusalem. They say, enough of this trouble and all that stuff. We're going to get rid of you off to Judea and Samaria. But this is actually a fulfillment of Acts 1.8, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in this amazing miracle, we see... um, we see the gospel spread, and then from there it actually spreads to the end of the earth. And it all got started, this chain of events got started with Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit and serving Grecian widows food. You know, in this case, we see the why. We see the why of what happened to Stephen. Yeah, he had to die so that the Believers would get dispersed out of Jerusalem and the gospel would spread to the ends of the earth. But sometimes things happen to us and we do not understand the why. The why question is fine, but there is another question that we need to ask ourselves, and that is the who. Do we believe the who, that God is good and guiding us, or don't we? Love this verse here. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the opposite of that verse is true as well, that the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. That that is a reality if we are a Christian, that we are being led by him. And we end up seeing the big picture that God used Stephen's Holy Spirit-filled life mightily. But, you know, Stephen actually didn't get to see it. Right? Stephen didn't get to see it. Not on this side of heaven anyway. He didn't see all the things that happened after the gospel spreading to the world. What happened to him is he was faithful, serving food. 
He was faithful when God worked with him with signs and wonders, and he was faithful to preach a sermon, and then he was killed. That's what, his thought from this side of heaven. And uh, we don't always see the full picture of what God is doing. You know, and obviously this is a huge way that God guided people, but there's also lots of little ways as well. You know, I have a friend, she's a Christian lady, and uh, she told me that she's a brand new Christian, really keen in her faith, and she told me that she was struggling with patience. She was really struggling with patience, so she told me that here in the church. And then, uh, you know what happened to her? When she left the church, what do you think happened to her? She's driving down Fennel and McGilvery. Geese, come in front. And then she has to sit there and wait. Even this morning, what happened to me, I'm on my way to church, you know, first big sermon in front of everybody, and I'm like, what comes in front of me? Geese. And they stop, they stop it. And uh, what she told me, uh, she, she said, God has a real sense of humor, teaching me patience, right? And uh, I think that's what God is always in the interest of doing us, is that he is teaching us. And uh, to remember that the Holy Spirit, you know, that he's in control, that he, when we are led by him, that, that uh, you know, we do uh, go on a trip of a lifetime. And I think if the last 20 months of COVID has taught us anything, is that we don't have control. And if we want to be assured that we as the children of God are being led by the Spirit, we have to continually come to him for guidance. And this is the exact same principle as a ship with sails. Because the wind blows where it may, the crew of the ship has to continually adjust the sail and all the steering mechanisms in the boat to keep going in the same direction. Uh, what would a Church of Rock sermon be without a picture of a boat? But here is the Blue Nose. This is the Blue Nose too. Blue Nose, very, very famous uh, ship. It is actually on uh, our dime. So if you look at our our dime here, you will see that that is commemorated. And um, the Blue Nose is a well-known ship because it really represented uh, Canadian strength in uh, shipbuilding and sailing in the, you know, especially in the 1920s and what have you. And, uh, but to operate that ship actually takes 20 crew. 20, 20 crew. And the Blue Nose too, just so you know, it's continually running. I went on their website, for whatever reason, and uh, they need deckhands. I think they're all out this summer, but it, maybe next summer you could get on it. And if you're between 18 and 30, you can be a deckhand on the Blue Nose. I don't know if that interests you or not. But I only say that because it is a crew to catch the Spirit. It takes a crew to catch the Holy Spirit. Yes, we can do it individually in our lives, but the corporate part of it is huge as well. And they always have to adjust to what, the, um, to what the wind is blowing, that they always have to adjust so that they can keep moving on their ship. And so these are the first things about uh, uh, putting up our sail, that we receive by believing, we relinquish control, and the third and last is that we refill every day. And so uh, this verse in uh, Ephesians 5, 5.18, always love this verse, and it says, Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. And because, sorry, do not be drunk on wine because it leads to debauchery and uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, our culture is in love with alcohol. Would, I, would, I, would we say that that's true? I, so many conversations, you watch a sporting event, they're always making jokes about alcohol, everything else. The Bible, the only thing the Bible really talks about it is it, well, it leads to debauchery. 
So don't be debauched, whatever that means. It means ruin your life, because that's where it leads. And, uh, but instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the, and the Bible's full of stuff about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Actually, from this verse on in Ephesians 5, it talks about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this filling of the Holy Spirit, it is not the, bap- don't confuse this with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a sermon upon itself. This verse in particular talks about how we can be filled constantly or every day that's the uh, the mood the mood of the of the verb there is that it is something that we consistently and constantly do and it's and then it's so it says this about how do we can be filled with the holy spirit it says speaking to one another with psalms hymns and songs from the spirit sing and make music from your heart to the lord that's the first one always giving thanks to god the father for everything in the name of our lord jesus christ Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we see those three things about how to refill every day with the Holy Spirit. And the first one is, is to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs. I don't know if you ever think about this, but why do we sing before every church service? Well, there's a reason why. The reason why is not to put you in a good mood, although maybe we do feel in a good mood, but the feeling that we get of being filled with uh, you know, uh, with joy or with awe or those types of things, that what it does within us is that it is actually a reflection of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our inmost being. And so when we sing congregationally, it's not to put us in a good mood, although we do get put in a good mood. It is actually a sign that the Holy Spirit is blowing, is existing in the core of who we are. And then the second one talks about that we are to be, filled with, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we are to sing and make music in our hearts, giving thanks. So this is probably easier for the introverts among us. You know that, you know, I always find myself, for instance, I, I sing, uh, you know, when I walk the dog or when I uh, do the dishes or whatever, I feel like I have a song in my heart, but it gets mangled on the way out. That's the trouble with my, with my thing. It's a song in my heart, but it gets mangled on the way out. And uh, I would uh, sing to you now, but um, I made my wife a promise about 20 years ago that I, that I would not sing in front of people. And uh, this is what happened one Sunday morning. I was uh, preaching, and uh, I was preaching, I, I think it was on uh, Psalm Psalm 3, and thou, Lord, art a shield about me, you're my glory, you're the lifter of my head. And I was preaching on that. And so there's this hymn based on that, and I sang that song. And my wife came up to me in her gracious way and she said, uh, Steve, that was very brave, what you did there, singing that song. Promise me you will never, ever do that again. So that is why I'm not singing before you today. But nevertheless, that we invite the real life, personal presence of the Holy Spirit when we sing to the Lord. And the last verse tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is another one another thing, something we do in community. And whenever I see that word submit in the Bible, I always think of, you know, like uh, when Khabib, uh, you know, submitted Conor McGregor or, you know, for those that are a little bit older, you know, when, uh, uh, you know, the Iron Sheik, you know, put on the camel clutch on Sergeant Slaughter and uh, those sites, you know, submit him and uh, tap him out. But that's actually uh, not a great way to think about the word. A better way to think about that word is to think about the word agreeable. Be agreeable to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because the term actually comes from the military. And it basically means that you are on the same team in the same army with Jesus in charge. And this is why 
when we struggle and when there's dissension in the body of Christ over things like our politics or masks or vaccines and those types of things, when there's dissension, the personal presence of the Holy Spirit doesn't come because we're not agreeing to one another. So to be agreeable to one another is so, so important to us. And um, because we are all on the same boat, we're all on discipleship. And uh, we need to refill ourselves every day because the fact of the matter is, is we are spiritual leakers. You ever have a helium balloon in your house? And you know, right at the beginning, you know, it goes, shoots right up to the ceiling. But it leaks over time and it, it keeps going down and down. And the same thing is true for us in our uh, spiritual lives. We need to be refilled every day. And we can actually help each other. It's not like we're putting up the sail by ourselves. It's something that we are actually doing in community as well. So if we're to live Holy Spirit-powered lives, we need to receive by believing. We need to relinquish control to the Holy Spirit, and we need to refill every day. So that is how you put your sail up on discipleship. Every ship does not have a sail, but the discipleship does. So put your sail and catch the wind of the Holy Spirit for the trip of a lifetime. Uh, thank you all. If uh, you know, if we never um, go from a Church of the Rock service without giving an invitation to take a step onto the ship to start your journey of following Jesus. So, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit into your life, the Holy Spirit who is full of love and joy and peace, to get started on a trip of a lifetime, with every eye closed and. Uh, uh, just slip up your hand right now and just ask, would anybody want to uh, follow Jesus and to um, follow the Holy Spirit in their life? Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, just, uh, you know, we all need more of the Holy Spirit in our life, so let me, uh, uh, so follow with me in this prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm tired of living my life on my own. Doing my own thing. Today it changes. I want to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. I want my life to be powered by the Holy Spirit. Help me put up my sail to receive by believing, by relinquishing control, by refilling every day. I commit to following you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, God bless you. Just a cup. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.